Hello and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Koops, I'm your host, and today I am bringing you an interview with author Boo Walker. Welcome to the show, Boo. Thank you. It's good to be here, Nathan. Thank you. It's um, it's fun to get to, to chat with you in this format. Um, we're fortunate enough to live in the same city. We've gotten to meet in person several times, which is great, and um. It's it's all I'm always excited to, to feature another St. Pete author. This is um I was I first heard about you actually from Ray at Haslam's, the the, the used sure. store in town here. I walked in and said, Hey, have you heard about this guy? Have you heard about Boo Walker? And um of course Ray is sort of like this uh touchstone for every, every author in St. Pete here, but um then I was thrilled to actually meet you at the same spot. I actually met you in Haslam's at uh Mark Leslie Lefebvre's um, Books and Brews tour, which is a whole lot of fun. Yeah, totally. Well, I think because of Haslam's and for because of the sunshine, there's a lot of writers that end up coming to St. Pete in their lifetimes and yeah. spend a lot of time here. Yeah, and I think they all yeah they all wander their way into Haslam's at some point, just because it's such a such a cool spot. But yeah, um, sure. and I was also excited because you showed up at the as far as Bookfaces Lives uh, first ever event we had, the Authors and Airplanes event. You showed up. And we're actually the first one to go for a ride, which was fantastic. Yes, and little did you know at the time how uh, how much I was conquering the fear of heights at, at that exact moment as we got on the plane. Yeah, I had no idea until you got off the plane at the end and told me. Oh, and, and just covered in sweat. <laughs> I would have never known. I would have known. Never known. I thought you were cool as a cucumber the whole time. Pure poise. <laughs> but... Um, I'm excited to, to introduce you to the audience here and tell people a little bit about you and your books. Uh, first off, I want to talk about uh, Red Mountain, which is your your novel that's probably the biggest hit right now. And um, maybe can you tell people a little bit about what people can expect when they pick up uh, one of your books or Red Mountain in particular? Yeah, sure. Well, I think it's important to talk about kind of a shift that I made and I was really testing the waters in a completely different genre and it seemed to strike a chord, so I'm probably going to hang around this genre for a while. But mm-hmm. our first few books were really coming from a vein of um, the, the, a thriller vein that probably started after reading folks like Stuart Woods and Nelson DeMille and um, even John Grisham and a lot of those guys that, that a whole lot of people read. And um, I, I really enjoyed that. But as I started, I, when I moved to Red Mountain, which is this uh, vineyard area in eastern Washington, I instantly encountered so many uh, amazing people that are so big and bright and they have so much to say and there's so much story to tell that in my I started wanting to uh, to write something different that really fit more into a kind of contemporary fiction and my idea became um, I believe in page turners and I always want to write page turners that's number one above all else but how can I write a page turner um, without a gun or without mm-hmm. a series of guns and without mm-hmm. chases and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so it led me down a path of reading uh, a whole different series of books and really trying to have to elevate my craft. So I wrote one more thriller while this idea of Red Mountain it, um, stirred in my head. And then finally, against um, my previous agent's wishes, I just decided to go right in. And th- the basic idea is it's told from four points of view. And... Each character, there's two women, two men. One's a uh, a uh, a teenage girl named Amelia. Um, there's a winemaker in his mid-30s. 
there's kind of the old dog or they call the grape father on Red Mountain named Otis. And then there's this uh, single mother running from a bad life in Burlington. So the ch- every chapter kind of uh, switches points of view, but everything starts to blend together. And the basic idea is these people are fighting for love and life and meaning and uh, the dysfunction just goes rampant and and life becomes really tough for all of them and i've always just loved this idea of just throwing the worst possible things at your characters and seeing if they can survive yeah so in the end there's there's uh, not much uh gunfire but i think it is super page turning to see how these people go about their life and really the the base the, the setting is this tiny mountain which is three thousand acres in eastern Washington, it's in the desert, and it's completely covered in grapevines. So, uh, I, my my uh, the past ten years of my life has been spent around grapevines, and I've had a gentleman's farm on Red Mountain. So, you get to learn a lot about wine, and I think it provides a really super setting. And yeah. another reason why this place, Red Mountain, draws such interesting characters, because if you think about it, um, I don't know, wine has such a romantic aspect that will, people will travel the world to come mm-hmm. there. And they'll move to the middle of nowhere and leave all the great restaurants of a city just to be around grapevines. So really, in truth and in my fiction, the, the characters are just, uh, you can't get enough of them. I think that's a, it's a great setting. I would think vineyards and uh, grapevines have such a almost a serene feel to them, but it it is a great contrast if there's drama in the people's lives. So I think that that's a, it's an interesting setting to, to choose from. Um, and were any of these characters based on, on real people from real locations, or were they just sort of amalgamations of characters that you've met out there? I think it's um, – there's a few folks. You know, I guess all of us authors, um, you have to be careful making an enemy <laughs> with an author because you can always do things to get them back. And there's there's certainly a couple of those that snuck in. But a lot of it is living in this little place – and meeting all these amazing people and then throwing them in a blender and grabbing this from one person and grabbing this and grabbing this crazy story you heard and mm-hmm. maybe exaggerating it a little bit and pulling a personality from somebody. But, yeah, totally. I think if there were people in the past 10 years of my life that live on Red Mountain, the ones that have read it say, oh, is that did you steal that from this person yeah. or something like that? So, yeah, for sure. I, I, I mean – I uh, my uh, my writing would be pretty empty if I didn't steal from real life. Well, that's that's really cool. It's probably great for people who do know the place personally and and kind of connect with it that way. I think it's it adds a whole other level of um, personality to a story if it's based on real places and you can actually go visit. Um, you obviously have a very cool literary name um, in with Boo. Did you? Can I assume you grew up in a house with books? Was this? Yes, I, I wish I had a better story for my name being Boo. I mean, I think ultimately uh, it came from To Kill a Mockingbird. But um, when you, well, this is actually kind of funny, amazing. So I'm South Carolinian by birth, okay. and we all just have crazy nicknames. And uh, hey, to all my buddies that I grew up with, my <laughs> name is Boo. My dad's name's Lim. Okay. We were uh, we were of the Lemuel Harold Walker clan. Okay. And my best friends growing up were Buddy, Bucky, and and Slawy, okay. and uh, Cannonball. So we we all just <laughs> had these crazy nicknames. Um, but yeah, as far as growing up in a in a reading household, for sure, my parents have always read for forever. And um, 
I, I kind of fell into, I'm probably jumping ahead a little bit, but I fell into playing music as a career late in college and moved to Nashville and played in a band and got into songwriting. And songwriting is really where I started to realize that there was a way to connect to the muse, mm. you know, and, and um, a way where you you didn't have to try hard. In fact, the less you tried and the more you just connected, the more things kind of came to you, whether it was lyrics or whatever. And uh, as I left my music career, I started reading a whole lot more. And uh, probably in in my early twenties, I just realized that I really wanted to to write novels. Mm-hmm. So, what was the first novel you wrote? Um, you said it, said it was a thriller. What kind of inspired your your first novels? There was one book in particular. I remember being in in uh, Waterville, Ireland, hiking and uh, hiking across Ireland and read a book called Plum Island by Nelson DeMille. And mm. I think it probably still is held up, and it's a killer book, and just amazing first-person, um, sarcastic guy that uh, upsets everybody. But just every line, it's almost like you don't even need a plot, mm-hmm. because every he's just spitting out one-liners, one after another, and it's just so uh, delicious just to read what he's writing. And so as I finished that, I knew that that's what I wanted to write, is these really sarcastic uh, characters that that were uh, that were kind of looking for bad guys. So my first one called Low Country Punch. I was living in Charleston at the time, and uh, I there was there was a lot of political stuff going on with um, high-ranking officials and cocaine in high society Charleston. So I reached out to the Drug Enforcement Administration in Charleston and uh, asked if I could come meet with them. And I walked into this really uh, hidden. DEA office and there were probably six uh, agents waiting on me and they were so excited to chat with me I ended up hanging out with two of them for the, another year and we'd oh, have wow. lunch and I would just interview them and I'd spit ideas at them and uh, just did a whole lot of research read every book there was on DEA agents and created this this character that uh, is completely damaged inside so mm-hmm. I think I was already into the dysfunction of uh, damaged people um, but he has to go undercover to uh, figure out who the drug kingpin is of Charleston. And it's it's kind of spinning through high society Charleston. And when you live in Charleston, you call it the South Abroad hmm. area. Interesting. Okay. Um, well, now I have more reasons to go explore Charleston. I get to go up there in uh, February now. I'll have, I'll have to read your book first and then yes. find my way around. Um well, that's, that's really cool. And so then you made the leap. You said you made the leap but kind of over into contemporary fiction. Like, what are some of the challenges you found with making that leap? Obviously, you, you felt driven by the story. But then it's one thing to write a story that you're in love with. But then it's another thing to actually succeed at selling that story in a brand new genre. What are some things that, that you've done that you think have uh, sort of resonated with readers to the point where it made the book so successful? Well, I... I think um, I realized, as a matter of fact, I know exactly what, what it, it all came down to meeting a woman named Leela Meacham, who is a fantastic writer out of, she lives outside of San Antonio, and she's, mm-hmm. she's a, uh, she's published by Top 5 and is uh, as successful as you could possibly be, and really didn't hit success until later in life, and she was an English teacher for most of her life. Hmm. Um, so a complete master of language. And we had a crazy run-in. She was on a 
a cruise near Red Mountain with my in-laws, and they, and my in-laws convinced her to have a chat with me, and we've been talking ever since. It's been years. Hmm. But anyway, she started, uh, we started having some phone calls, and she, after hearing me talk, she realized, she maybe realized before I did that I really wanted to pursue the craft more, and I wanted to take it much more seriously. And not that there's not phenomenal thriller writers out there. There's right. guys guys and girls writing amazing stuff. Um, but for me, I wanted to dig a little bit deeper and dive into the human psyche a little bit more. And also, at the same time, focus on writing more uh, lasting sentences mm. and using, using words and pushing myself as much as possible. So I started... Uh, I pushed away all the books I was reading at the time and completely switched everything I read and immediately started picking out, picking up stuff like uh, Jess Walters and, uh, and Pat Conroy and guys that were just going to push me a lot. And mm-hmm. uh, so it was from that vein that I started to write Red Mountain. And the main challenge, I think, has been it's just crazy to see how fast some of these thriller writers or sci-fi guys can spit out words. And uh, I... I I, I don't find that I can write as quickly, um, but maybe that just comes with time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of the, and also too. I mean, obviously, if you're if you're spending the time crafting those sentences and and really trying to to go for the biggest impact uh, with your with your art, I mean, it's, it's going to take time. It's not it's not easy. Um, I remember I was at a conference one time. And I met uh, Daniel Woodrell, who who wrote uh, Winter's Bone. Um, they ended up making a, a film out of it later on, of course. So, but the book, I remember reading the book and then just wanting to go and like throw all my manuscripts in the trash because I was just like, yes, like yeah. man, this is so good. This 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 level of craft, like you just, just like read the first page and be like, dang it, like this is, this is so much better than I'll ever be. But um, it's cool when you find those those motivations, those inspirations to to really drive yourself forward. Yeah, that's part of my dog. I think uh, I think I'm not trying to chase a Pulitzer, but I do want people to read and be really super touched. Yeah. Excuse me. Oh, no worries. It's pretty bad out there. So, just for those of you um, watching, yeah, we're getting a little bit of a rainstorm all of a sudden, which, you know, is great. We needed the rain in St. Pete, but uh, it scares my dog a little bit. Yeah. Understandable. Um, you also have a, a gorgeous cover. Who, who did your cover design for Red Mountain? Uh, she is in um, JD Smith. She's in England, and she's awesome. And as I was as I was switching genres, I knew how to change change people. And I can't remember how I found her, um, but she's been awesome to work with. And if anybody wants me to put uh, put them in touch with her, they can just find me on Facebook, and I'd, I'd be happy to introduce them. Maybe we can drop a link in the comments or something. Uh, as a, as yeah, a totally. People. We can spread that around. And then, um, of course, you know, it's if anyone is watching the replay later and has questions like that for Boo, and if you want to um, ask your questions in the comments, feel free. Uh, if, anyone, if you're watching live and you want to have a comment or a question, feel free to, to shoot that up and we'll try to ask it live. Um, but if not, then definitely ask them in the replay. I'm sure Boo would be happy to pop back on and, and answer questions later. Totally. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about one of the differences between contemporary fiction and other fiction is that the pricing strategy that you have. Um, so when it comes to marketing, trying to market a contemporary fiction book, it's a kind of a different ballgame than some of these other genre fiction categories, and you're competing with a lot more traditionally published 
authors. I noticed um, that your pricing is more in line with traditionally published authors. What kind of research did you do for that, and what was kind of your logic to that strategy? Yeah, uh, well, you're right. I, I, my pricing strategy is based off my competitors, and I mm-hmm. try somewhat to take take away the whole idea of trad versus indie, mm-hmm. and 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 think more along the lines of you know what what do these books deserve? How much effort is put into them? Mm. And um, sure, I think I'm, I'm I really enjoy reading Frederick Backman. Okay. And he, he wrote a man called Ove and yeah. something Beartown, and he's trad published, and he's probably at thirteen ninety nine, fourteen ninety nine with his new Kindle book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to be there because he's got a lot more people to pay. He's got a publishing house to pay, and and, yeah. and all kinds of things. But I do want people. I think more than anything, uh, I want people when they buy it not to let it sit and fall into the back of their Kindle. Mm. I want them to spend enough to where they they're making a commitment. To themselves and to me to dive in and really take it seriously. There was a time back in my old days where uh, I I had learned to pirate movies and stuff like that, and I don't do it anymore. And one of the main reasons, other than karma and that it's not right, is that I realize you can have this content overload. And mm. with content overload, you you're always reading to get to the next book, and you're not reading to enjoy that specific sentence and that specific line. So I mm. I just I, I I don't like to give away books um, for t- too little money because I, I I do want them to take it seriously, just like I've taken it seriously. Yeah, that's a that's a valid point. And also, of course, you are you're writing standalone stories that are pretty self-contained for the most part. Obviously, there is a sequel coming out for Red Mountain, but the the original stories themselves. Typically, you're writing standalone, so is that part of the, um, the pricing? Yeah, well, too, that's a, a that's a great point. I think uh, a lot of folks in the indie space are into their tenth, fifteenth, twentieth um, book in their series. So mm-hmm. certainly, it makes sense to give away their first book for free or for ninety nine cents. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that w- that doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. However, I you know you and I both attended Nink, the Nink conference. And I've certainly learned a lot from a lot of you guys in, in your different genres. And, and that's a, a, that's why I do want to explore this area of Red Mountain more and, you know, take advantage of an established world. And that's something I'm super excited about, especially because I don't know that many people that do that in the contemporary fiction genre. Um, I, there's a woman named Jan, Jan Karen. I've never read before, but she's one of them. And Frederick Backman has just released a sequel to his book, Beartown. Uh, but there's not a lot of that kind of world building. Um, so I, I am learning a lot from, from all you guys in, in, your, um, in your series worlds. Yeah, it, it is kind of a, a little bit of a different strategy overall to, to building the stories in the first place, um, which I'm always trying to improve at, too, is trying to think longer in order to think to, in order to write a series is a kind of different way to approach writing. Uh, we had a comment from Bethany. She says, late catching on to this interview. I actually finished reading Red Mountain the other day. So, <clears throat> hi, Bethany. Thanks for, for hi, saying Bethany. hello. Hi, Bethany. Thank you. Um, it was fun because she had sent me um, a message in the survey asking, so, uh, I had asked who I should interview, and she's like, I just finished Red Mountain the other day. My boo walker should interview Boo, and I was, boo, and I was like, I'm, I've already got Boo on the schedule. On the this schedule, that's is, great. She's already coming she, up. Uh, you mentioned her. She's in, in Australia or something? Uh, South, South Africa. Africa. Yeah, cool. So, Thank yeah. you, Bethany. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's cool to have, have you watching, Bethany. Um, so what are some of the other things, like, talking about marketing and, and obviously you're doing a lot of things right, 
Um, do you have any other strategies for maybe people who are trying to get into contemporary fiction or uh, maybe some tips for people to, when it comes to the marketing side of things, how, how, um, how to make your books sell and what some of the key factors maybe? Yeah, sure. Well, you know, um, this is a lesson I'm having to learn myself and I learned it, I've learned it a lot this year, which is you can study the craft all that you want, but eventually we've talked about this. Mm-hmm. Eventually you have to dive in and just, um, start writing stories, you know? And mm-hmm. so that's, that's what I've been doing is started to think, um, think in terms of, I'm changing my mindset and, um, following two ideas with marketing. One, I need to spit out more stories Mm -hmm. and I need to stop thinking so much about um, doing too much research and just thinking too much about the craft and saying, okay, you've studied it, now get out into the arena and start doing it. So part of my marketing goal is just to have more books. I mean, I I think um, the most successful authors out there have a lot of books and Mm -hmm. have a lot of stories to tell and there's no question um, you can read all the books you want. Uh, you learn the most by sitting down and writing story after story and seeing how characters get what they want or don't get what they want mm-hmm. and um, seeing how you can affect readers. Um, the second part of my marketing strategy, and this really hit me uh, earlier this year, is uh, is the, the kind of email newsletter idea and trying to build a readership and trying to give them something, give them a reason to be involved with me. Mm-hmm. And it's been amazing. I really, I it slowed my writing down a little bit, but I've really tried hard to make a newsletter that people enjoy a lot. And I have tons of interaction. You know, there's a lot of times where I just can't even respond to everybody. Um, and I feel that in every everything I do. When 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 uh, if I have a favor to ask, um, my readership typically responds pretty quickly and happily. Um, and in return, I really try to go out of my way to help them, whether it's in um, book recommendations or life recommendations or mm-hmm. whatever it is. What are some of the things that you're putting in each of your newsletters to, to make sure you get that kind of engagement? Well, like I said, b- b- uh, book recommendations, I, I've, uh, I'm a self-development junkie. Mm. I've probably read more self-help books than I have um fiction or right, right up there. I usually yeah. read one self-help and then one fiction. So I talk a lot about, I, I analyze people a lot and I, and I, I, I think a lot of, of what I, um, what I write fiction wise, especially in Red Mountain is I create these dysfunctional characters, mm-hmm. but I consider myself a pretty spiritual person and somebody that's, I'm, I'm very much a seeker. Mm-hmm. And so I explore the idea of being a seeker in every way and, you know, just trying to find some kind of awakening. And that's what my characters are doing. So I find that I, you know, I, I really, as a fiction writer, you can do whatever you want with a newsletter. And it's usually whatever's heavy on my mind at the moment. And that might be the latest book that I've, I've read or, or the mm-hmm. latest kind of thoughts that I've been, that's been, that have been running through my head. Any uh, good books recently that have really moved you in the, uh, yeah, totally. Uh, so I, I, if you know me very well at all, you'll hear me talk about The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, which I've, I've read several times. And mm. I think some, my wife gave it to me probably eight years, seven years ago, and it really changed everything. And I, for some reason, didn't read uh, A New Earth, his second book, mm. uh, until just a couple weeks ago. And it was awesome. It was unbelievable. It, it just, I don't know. I, I'll have to check those out. Yeah. Re- I have ready to one, actually. So Life-changing. Very cool. 
Yeah, do you, um, how do you typically read? Is it uh, print, Kindle, audio? What's your typical method of consumption? I do a little bit of everything. I've, I'm, I've found I, I really enjoy Audible with nonfiction, but I have mm-hmm. a hard time getting lost in the world of fiction with Audible, hmm. with audio. So I do, I usually try to exercise while I'm listening to, to uh, some nonfiction stuff, and then I'm mostly on my Kindle with, with fiction. Interesting. Yeah, just kind of a different way of enjoying it. Um, do you ha- do you stick to particular narrators for your books? Do you get different narrators for all of your own audio? I, I had a really great uh, narrator for my first three books, and just after we did finished up the third one, he got pegged to do The Martian. Oh, wow. Or maybe he had done The Martian during the same time, but anyway, The Martian blew up right, mm-hmm. as, uh, right as he finished my third one. Which was which was really cool and and put a lot of eyes on on my stuff as well. When I wrote Red Mountain, there were it, it was hugely difficult for a narrator, and I thought long and hard about maybe hiring four different people to tell it mm-hmm. together because, like I said, you've got a um, you know fifty something year old woman, a seventeen year old woman, and then you know an older man and a younger man, and you have to bounce back a lot and, and the whole entire chapter is told from that point of view. Yeah. Um, and this guy just didn't, it, I don't think it would have worked for him. So I, is that I RC Bray. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And now he's, he's, uh, he's climbing big yeah. time. You know, he's doing a lot of big stuff. Uh, but then I found this guy who was just kind of getting started. I did a lot of air, uh, audible, um, interviews or auditions and, I, there's a really important scene in my book where the the great father howls and he's he's a howler and that's like when he's really confused and upset he connects with the coyotes he goes out into the night and howls at the moon and that's fun yeah and so more than anything I wanted someone who could howl with a lot of soul and like really give you chill bumps yeah. so I basically all my auditions were like read this 17 year old girl and then I want to hear you uh, an English guy howl at the moon and <laughs> And uh, it's giving you a narrator challenge for sure. Oh, it was unbelievable. And but this guy nailed it. So he's yeah. uh, he's agreed to do my second book, and he actually lives in Washington, which is cool. That that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's interesting hearing some of the the failures of audio editions too. I think it's always entertaining. I'm sure you would probably get some really um, terrible howls every once in a while. I'm imagining, but um, that's cool that he can he can nail that skill. Oh, he's got it now. Well, he's a he's an actor in L.A. Um, I guess he's from Washington. He's an actor in L.A. and yeah, he, he can he can dive right into anything you throw at him. And now I've got in my sequel, which we definitely should talk about before before I lose yeah. you. Um, I've replaced one of the characters with this uh, Mexican American woman that's moved up from L.A. running from a really yucky past life, mm-hmm. and so he's going to have his hands full. And I've I sent him an email yesterday just. Saying, hey, you might want to brush up on on this kind of accent and this yeah. kind of idea, you know. Yeah, that's uh, smart to give them a heads up in advance. You know, know the, the accents you're dealing with and regional stuff. You know, it's it's, it's, yeah. it's a tough job being being a voice actor for sure. I actually have started rereading my own stuff with that in mind. Um, even just particular phrases, the way things fit together, and think, oh man, how, my narrator's going to hate me if I write it this way. So. Oh wow, that's cool. Well, I remember telling me that Joanna Penn is going to start reading her own stuff, and I just can't even imagine, mm. even yeah. imagine the thinking of that. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a skill that I deeply admire, but also don't 
trying to emulate. No. <laughs> um, so yeah, so when does uh, Red Mountain Rising come out? What's the what's the release date for the, the sequel? The, the uh, pre-order is up. I haven't really told anybody because I wanted to quietly release it. But December 7th is the release, and so I've uh, just sent the... Um, well, I'm about two days away from sending the final edits back to my editor, and she's going to proofread it. Um, but it's ready to go, and I'm I'm super excited. I I had a uh, one of my oldest friends back in Charleston. He wrote me probably like six seven months ago, and and he was congratulating me for the sales of Red Mountain and for good reviews and stuff. And I said, I know it's making me nervous about the second one. And he wrote back. He said, I and I I think I said I need to make the second one just as good. And he said. No, you need to make the second one better, and yeah. that has just uh, kept me up at night for about seven <laughs> months of editing. But I really feel yeah. like I've, I've I've done that. That's really cool. Um, we have a qu- question from Bethany. She says, "Speaking of the sequel, without giving anything away, are you the type of author who saves their favorite characters to keep the readers happy, or do you take the tougher route and sacrifice main characters for a better storyline?" That's a tricky way of trying to figure out the cliffhanger. <laughs> you have to really uh, tread carefully there. Um, um, I don't feel like I'm the Game of Thrones type of author, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't put it past me. <laughs> All right, we must redefine out, I guess, Bethany. That's the that's the answer there. But yes, well, it's exciting, and I'm glad you've got uh, people eagerly awaiting the sequel and um, I think it's, it's feels really good I'm I'm, I'm uh, really super excited and then I've got one um, you and I kind of committed to trying to write a little faster mm-hmm. over the past month and I've, I've written a prequel to Red Mountain um, I started the first draft with dictation and wrote the second draft um, regularly by typing and I'm really excited about that that's first person which I haven't touched in since the thriller days okay. from this uh, this single mother from Vermont's point of view that's really cool too. Yeah, I'm excited to, to hear how that works out. But uh, where's the best place for people to keep up with you and find more information about you, or maybe ask you questions? If you go to my website, that's the best place to start. BooWalker.com. B-O-O-W-A-L-K-E-R.com. Okay. Um, well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on the show today and, and hang out with us. It's it's uh, it's been a lot of fun for me. It's a pleasure. I really appreciate you doing what you do. Yeah, anytime. And uh, anytime you have something else new coming out and you want to get back on the show, I'd love to have you back as a guest. It'd be fantastic. I'm in, buddy. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everyone, for watching uh, or listening to the podcast. And we'll see you again next week for another great episode. All right. Thank you.